are listening to the Hello Awesome podcast, and this is episode number 120. Hey, friends, we are back again here this week, Monday morning on the Hello Awesome podcast. Cannot believe I said 120 episodes. That's just wild. If you are new here, my name is JC Lee Pulford. I'm the artist, creator, author, host of this podcast, and we talk about all things faith, life, and business. We share powerful stories, and we dive deep into amazing biblical truths here on the podcast, and today is probably the biggest story I have ever shared with you. But before we get into the details, I did want to highlight two reviews, and the first one is titled Lion's Den Study. So this is in reference to the Bible study that I have done on here called Living in the Lion's Den. I'm actually doing an Instagram live version of this on Instagram. So if you're not uh, connected with my account there, it's at Hello Awesome Live. I have the last two lessons up saved on my feed, and we're going to do the third lesson this Tuesday. So that's tomorrow at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're on Instagram, tune in for that. But this is titled Lion's Den Study, and it says, I just listened to the first episode of the study, and I can't wait to hear the others. JC has awesome insight and real-life application of the Word of God in our lives today by Kay Abs. So thank you, Kay Abs, if you're out there. That was very sweet, and I'm excited that you were really into this study. It blessed me, and I'm so incredibly grateful that it's blessing you too. The next review does not have a title. It just has a pink sparkly heart, which is one of my favorite emojis. And it says, this podcast is amazing! Exclamation point. I love how she brings up those topics that don't typically get talked about, but are definitely needing to be heard. Also, any apostolic podcast is a plus. You're encouraging us apostolic, and I'm sure you're also encouraging people from other religious backgrounds as well. Keep doing what you're doing, JC. At Katie Hildebrand. Oh, Katie, you're so sweet. I love her. She's always being so supportive. I see your name pop up all the time on socials. So thank you, Katie. That was very sweet. Okay, before I get into this interview, with Vanessa Carpenter Perales, I wanted to put an advisory warning right here. This story is probably the biggest and most powerful story I've ever shared in the history of the podcast. And I know that is huge. This story actually grabbed national headlines years ago when an attacker entered into the Carpenter home and brutally murdered two siblings of my guest. So I want to encourage you, if you have young listening ears, please put on your earbuds, put on your headphones. This is not a story that they need to hear right now. And Vanessa is incredible. She shares her heart and she gets into the details of that day when she witnessed this happen to her family and how she dealt with forgiveness after. And it's going to surprise you at every turn. So here we go, guys. I do encourage you to pray and seek the Lord after this interview. Please, we do not encourage fear, and I do not put this out there to encourage anything that the enemy is trying to do, but this is to educate and also to inspire us. And we also talk about at the end how Vanessa still is praising God even after trauma. So here we go, guys. This is episode 120 that I am calling Forgiveness After Trauma with Vanessa Carpenter Perales. 
Hey guys, I'm JC. Are you ready for real conversations about faith, business, and life? Me too. This is the Hello Awesome Podcast, where I bring forth topics and truthful insights that will encourage you to make intentional choices and pursue God with your whole heart. Are you ready to say hello to the awesome blessings that God has for you? All right, let's do this. Before we get started, let me share some amazing deals from a few friends of mine. California-based, female-owned, modest boutique Skirt Society has hand-picked pieces perfect for all sizes. For a limited time, use code HELLO10 for 10% off your next order at theskirtsociety.com. From hoodie sets to jumpers, up your fashion game this season. If you're trying to tame your mane like I am, it is time to invest in Uncut. Uncut offers a variety of hair care cleansing and strengthening products that will help restore and renew your long locks. Use code AWESOME10 for 10% off when you order from UncutHairCare.com today. Are you looking for modest clothing that's both high quality and affordable? Pencil skirts, layer tops, lace extenders, and more can be found at Nuggles. You can also find the cutest modest options for grade school age girls. Use code HelloAwesome10 for 10% off your purchase at www.nuggles.us. That's N-U-G-G-L-E-S dot U-S and stock up for all your layering needs. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Hello Awesome podcast. Today we have a new guest with us, someone who is a survivor in so many ways and who just loves the Lord and continues loving the Lord uh, no matter what is happening in life. We definitely need that encouragement here today. Vanessa, thank you for taking time to be here with me. Can you please share with everyone listening a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. And again, thank you, JC, for having me on here. I really appreciate it. Any opportunity to give God glory um, is obviously what we should all strive to do. And so thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, Again, my name is Vanessa Carpenter. I go by Vanessa Perales now. Um, I live in uh, California. I live in a small little town in California, born and raised um, here in the Valley. Um, and I grew up just just your normal average little um, country girl um, with my family and um, grew up going to church and all of that my my whole life. No, I've known nothing different but going to church and and the family life. And now I am happily married. Um, I've been married, it'll be 14 years this March. And I have um, two daughters and a little boy. And I am just richly blessed. The Lord has richly, richly blessed me and can't thank him enough for his blessings. Yes, God is just so very good. And I I'm just so grateful for your time and that you, you know, have um, agreed to be on the podcast today. I know that you've told and retold your story uh, many times. And so, you know, I don't take it lightly that you are willing to share it again. 
for us here. Um, and I want you to obviously share whatever makes you comfortable. Uh, so why don't you just take us back to the day that changed your life? What unfolded? Okay. I, um, I let's go back to that would be August 23rd of 2000. Um, it appeared to be a normal morning. We had, let me backtrack a a little bit. We had just recently, a few days prior to the, to the 23rd, um, went camping as a family. That was kind of our routine thing every year. Um, the month of August, we packed up for a couple weeks and we went camping to our favorite little spot tucked up away in the the mountains here and um, went with a lot of our church family, a lot of our friends, and it was just wonderful. It's a, it was our yearly getaway as a family to just breathe and enjoy nature and, you know, God's beautiful creations, not just in the faces we see every day, but the actual outside nature. It's just a wonderful time away and we you know that camping trip we get asked a lot through the years was it different was there a different kind of um peace or restlessness and and there wasn't you know the whole trip was peaceful it was fun it was as it always was and back to the 23rd we're home we got all of our camping stuff cleaned up and we're all worn out right that's a lot of work camping is a lot of work um when you pack and when you come home, it's a, it's a mess, it's a chore, but you know, it's so worth it. But we, um, as kids that morning, we were all worn out, tuckered out. And I believe it was the following week school started. Um, so we were enjoying our last few days of resting and sleeping in and, um, just being kids. My mom had, um, come in the room where me and my sister Anna was sleeping and she had woke us up and she'd said that she needed to go, um, to the dealership to have her vehicle worked on her brakes or something were needing repaired. And, um, typically my, where she was going, my grandfather, my dad's dad works there. And, um, we would typically go with her because yay, it's a day we get to see our grandpa too. Mm -hmm. So and see him at work. But um, we were also worn out from all the cleanup from camping and just enjoying our last little little stint of summer break. And so we begged her mom, can we please stay home and just continue sleeping and then get up and play or whatever. And she was a little hesitant, but no more than her normal. And she was like, okay, well, Jessica, your old, our older sister, is in charge and you guys listen to her and, you know, do as, do as she says, but don't go outside. You stay in the house, keep the doors locked and I'll be, I'll be back fast. And so we were like, okay, mom, we'll see you in a little while. Love you. And she's like, love you too. Well, she walked out, she left, left. And and I really remember this very clearly. She left um, the bedroom door open. My Mom and dad were very adamant about, you know, your bedroom doors stay open. You don't close your doors, your kids, you know. And so that was a detail I I really remember is when my mom left, the door stayed wide open. Well, she left and we nodded back off, fell asleep. Well, it felt like seconds, but in reality, it was it was quite a few minutes later. Um, 
me and my sister Anna both woke up and like jolted up out of the bed. We heard a really loud bang in the house and it was like, oh my goodness, what was that? It was extremely loud, obviously loud enough to wake up two, two minors <laughs> out of yeah. a dead sleep. And um, we set up, we looked at each other and instantly me and her both thought, oh no, what is Ashley and John into our two younger siblings? And we're like, they're probably in the kitchen messing with pots and pans or something, trying to make something, we better go look. And so me and, as me and her both got up, she got up on one, off of one side of the bed. I got up off of the other. And we both noticed, me and her both actually probably right at the same time noticed, wait, why is the door shut? Mom left the door open. Why, why would it be shut? And it just kind of caught, I could tell the look on her face. And I'm sure I was wearing the same exact look of just startled a little bit of why, why that door would be shut. And so we kind of just, you know, break, just graze it off of our shoulders. And we were like, okay, let's, let's just go see what's going on. And it had got quiet at that point. There was no more clanging or noises going on in the house. And so we got to the door, we opened it up. Actually, she opened it up because I was kind of to the side of the door and she was facing the door. She opened the door and as she opened it, there was a figure a man's figure standing in front of the door, her door, but Ashley's bedroom door was facing Anna's bedroom door, if that makes sense in the hallway. And um, so as we opened the door, we could see Ashley's bedroom door. Well, this man's standing there in her doorway, looking at her and we could see her laying on her bed acting like life was perfectly normal. And she was sitting there flipping through pages of a storybook that I had read to her and my brother the night before at bedtime. And she was just sitting there flipping through pages and acting like she didn't notice this man staring at her, nothing. And me and Anna are just bewildered because we cannot understand who this person is. We know our dad's gone at work. He's a, my dad's a building contractor. And so he left before the sun was up and trying to beat the heat and all of that. And so we knew it wasn't our dad, but it was like, who is this person? Well, as he heard the door open, he turned around and seen us standing there and he turns around and he comes to starts walking towards us. And we noticed instantly what he was holding in his hand and obviously we were just stunned because it was like, why would he have our pitchfork that we use to pitch hay to our horses and our mules and all of that, all of our livestock? Why does he have that in his hand in our house and why, and he had his shirt off. And so we were like, why just not understanding. And um, next thing we know, he comes towards us he enters the room and as he enters the room he looks at my sister Anna and just this hateful I can't even put into words the look he gave her it was just so so full of hate it was just baffling and um then he turned and looked at me and when he turned and looked at me he smirked and like smiled like 
looked at me like, it's okay. This is what it felt like to me is his look felt like to me as if he was trying to tell me it's okay. What I'm going to do to her, I'm not going to do to you right now. It's okay. You just, just, just wait your turn. Mm. And I, my sister, Anna, like elbowed me because we were standing extremely close at that point. And she elbowed me in my side as to like back up move. And so I moved back to the side where I had got off the bed to go to the door. I'd backed back up that away. And she had backed back up the way she had came to the door back by the bed. And, um, she instantly like put her hands up and was like, who are you? You know, why are you here? And asking him all these, you know, normal questions, what, what people would want to know that enraged him. He didn't want her asking questions. He didn't want to tell her, give her any explanation as to why he was there. And he just began yelling at her. And, um, she, she kept backing up the closer he'd get to her, the further she'd back up trying to keep space between the two. And I'm standing there like, what do I do? You know, I don't know what to do, you know? And he then followed through with, he shouted at her to lay on, lay on her bed. And, um, she, of course, my parents, again, same with shutting the door, my parents, again, instilled in us, if any stranger, I don't care who they are, or even if they're not a stranger, they're somebody you've known, if they tell you lay on a bed, lay down somewhere, you do not, do not do that, do not comply, you don't listen, and so immediately, that triggered her response of no, she yelled at him and told him no. And that took his anger to a whole nother level from that point on something snapped in him. And I hesitate on who I like, how I say this, who I say it to, because, you know, if you're not, um, I know you're, you believe in God, you, you have faith in all of this stuff and you've been raised to believe in God and you have your relationship with him. So I, can definitely say this to you and you understand that there is a spiritual realm, you know, when there is such a thing as possession. And yes. this man, when I say he was possessed, he was possessed. And mm. his, at that point, his eyes were literally changing color. He, his eyes would go from like a deep dark where you could see no, no pupil, no nothing. They were so dark. It just looked like an endless tunnel when you looked at his eyes. And no soul, like it felt so hollow, so empty, no life there. And then they turn into this like orange, red, fiery color. It, it, I've never seen nothing like this in my life other than that day. And it, it's something that's burned in my mind forever. And um, he began also speaking in a language I have never heard in my entire life. And it was as if he was speaking to something else, somebody else, someone else in the room, but in this other language. And we're both, me and Anna are equally just, just stumped. What is going on here? And he was spitting at the mouth. He was screaming so much and yelling so much. He had like foam on the sides of his mouth. Um, anyway, at that point in the midst of his screaming and yelling, the pitchfork came into play and he raised that up at my sister, Anna, and told her again to lay on the bed. 
And she, instead of laying on the bed, she just braced herself like against the edge of the bed, just like still standing, Mm -hmm. but yet almost in like a squat stand position against the bed to kind of give, make him calm down, you know, but not laying down. And, um, he, that wasn't good enough. That made him mad. He ran like lunged, lunged at her, grabbed her by the arm and threw her against, I mean, Anna was 13 and he just grabbed her up by the arm and just flung her like a rag doll up against the headboard of her bed. And, you know, that, that escalated at that point. And it was like, okay, this is getting bad. And he then, Anna then again was raising her hands and just pleading with him, please leave us alone. Don't hurt me, please, please leave us alone. What do you want? We'll give you what you want. Please just don't hurt us. Leave us alone. And, um, at the same time, we're both praying, you know, and saying, Jesus, Jesus, and, you know, all of this stuff. And he did not like hearing that every time the word Jesus's name was even brought up, even if the word was barely mentioned under our breath, almost, he would yell at us to shut up. Mm -hmm. And, um, so any mention of Jesus, he revoked there, it was not okay. And, He um, then raised the pitchfork up at Anna and began stabbing her. And so she raised her knees up to guard her, her chest. And she said that her instant instinct was to guard her vital organs. So she pulled her knees towards her chest, put her hands up in front of her face and was just shielding her, her vital organs. And I'm standing there and I got a million things running through my mind. What do I do? What do I get? How do I help? This man's huge. What, what, if anything, can I do? And we were born and raised with firearms. And um, my dad taught each and every one of us to responsibly use them. And um, recently, our state had, back then in 2000, had... um, put into effect a new law in regards to firearms and that had concerned my dad. And so my dad um, did exactly by the book as that was, that law was required. And in turn that day, it made getting a firearm completely not an option. It was unaccessible. And so that was in my mind, but yet as soon as it entered my mind, that quickly it was gone because it was like that's not even an option it's not even realistic to even try to access it and and get help that way so then it was like okay get a baseball bat that's clean down in the garage up far at the other end of our house our house was very long and so I was like that's not going to work um do I jump on him he's he's massive I believe he is six two and 200 around 230 pounds And so, and I'm 11, you know, 11 and I weighed 90 pounds. So I was like, this isn't, this is, it's not even an option. What do I do? And so all the while with all this going on in my mind, I'm still praying, Jesus, help us, Jesus, what can I do? You know, show me a way, help me help her. And, um, he still was just screaming at the screaming at the top top of his lungs every time one of us would pray say the name Jesus um he would um just and would be screaming at the same time while he's doing that was screaming like a crazy person at this 
in this other tongue at this other being that no one could see, you know, is just insane. And um, Anna, she was getting weak. She was getting tired. Obviously she was bleeding. She was hurt. Um, she was terrified. And, um, but I could see a change in her, in her poise instead of being strong and, and her hands being forced out there, they were growing weaker. And he could tell this too, obviously. And about that time he had raised the pitchfork up the prongs to her forehead. As he did that, he, it was like he was taking aim and Right before he did, as he had that pitchfork raised and aimed, um, we could hear a voice scream loud, you leave my sister alone. And that instantly snapped him out of that moment. And his attention turned towards the person screaming at him. And lo and behold, it was my little sister, Ashley, in the room across the way that was laying there looking at storybooks. All of a sudden, something had snapped her out of her moment of stories and she realized she was needed and she came barreling at him and she was nine, nine. And she weighed a pound more than me. She was nine and 91 pounds. And she was proud of that pound. <laughs> yeah. But she, um, went barreling at him. He went right back at her and that gave Anna a moment enough to get up off the bed and make her way out of her room. And as she went out of her room down the hall to find an exit way, I um, went out of the room behind her and I stayed in the hall and was peering in Ashley's bedroom door and something in me, I couldn't leave her. And, you know, that's my, that's my baby sister. And um, that for me has been the, the hardest moment because you see that look, you see what's being done to her and you know, you know, after what you've already witnessed, there's nothing you can do, mm. but you still hold on to hope. And in that moment in the hall, I held on to hope, you know, it was like, Hey, we're all here. We're a family. We love the Lord. We've done everything we can do to live right lives before him. And he's not failed us yet. I know he's not going to fail us now. And as I stood there and watched her fight, she, for nine, put up a fight like no other. And she um, ended up, my dad had uh, taught us girls, you know, tussling around. Keep in mind, my dad had four, four girls and then his fifth child ended up being his boy. And so us girls for the longest were his boys. And so we roughhoused, we wrestled. My dad made sure we knew how to wrestle. And so Ashley, with that in mind, um, one of his wrestling techniques, he'd always tell her because she was the younger sister, go for your sister's ankles. They'll fall over, go for the ankles, get them to fall over. And so the first thing she did was what she do when he came in her room, she went for his ankles and she wrapped her little body around his legs and, um, was biting him, scratching him, you name it. And um, while she was doing that, he was so furious with her. He was stabbing her in the back um, with his pitch, with the pitchfork. And um, she wouldn't let go. And she held on. And 
she then noticed that I'm standing there. And she looked at me with this look of shock, like, why are you there? And I looked at her and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And she waved her hand at me, like, go, leave, flung it at me to leave. Mm-hmm. And I like shook my head no at her. I was like, no. I, and in my heart, you know, my heart saying, no, I can't, I can't leave you. And um, he's still stabbing her all the while in her back and her legs. Never once noticed me standing there at all. His attention was fully on her. And in that moment, and that made her mad that I didn't leave. And so she looked at me again. And this time with the look of you better run and flung her arm extremely hard that time. I think it it looked to me, it took all her energy, what she had left in her to just fling her arm. And she screamed at me that time, go. And that made something in my mind snap and say, she's your, you're her only chance. If you don't go, she's definitely not going to make it. And I had noticed while standing there as well that my parents' bedroom door was closed, which is how it's set up. There's Anna's bedroom door. It's a long hallway. Anna's bedroom door and then Ashley's bedroom door was right across the hall from Anna's. And then my parents is right in the middle of both those bedroom doors on the, you know, if you're walking down the hall, it's the door that you would see coming down the hall facing you straight down the hall. And I had noticed standing there that their door was shut, which was abnormal as well. And I didn't see my brother. And when I left my brother and my sister, Ashley, that night after reading them stories, they had both fallen asleep in Ashley's room. And, um, but I didn't see him. So I figured he was, it was normal for him. He was seven. He would float around. I'm going to go sleep with Jessica or I'm going to go sleep with mom and dad. And so I figured, well, maybe he went with Jess or my parents. I don't know. Hopefully he's safe. And I still hadn't seen my older sister, Jessica, either. And so when she flung her, when Ashley flung her arm and told me to run or to go, I, um, I ran. But at the same time, he then noticed she was screaming at someone. And so he turned and looked at me and I, um, my last moment of seeing her was him trying to do everything he could to rip her off. Cause he knew he had to go after me. I wasn't hurt. He knew I was a threat at that point. Mm-hmm. And so he was doing everything he could to get her off. And she wasn't letting go until she, I, I know what it was. She wasn't letting go till she could clearly see I was gone. And, um, I ran and as I ran down the long hallway, I came to the end of the hallway that entered into the entryway and on one side and then the living room on the other side. And our house was dark, pitch dark, and it's morning, around nine something in the morning. And it should not be dark. It's never dark. But he had closed every curtain in the house, turned off all the lights. When I say cold, dark, eerie, that's what our house was. It wasn't our home. It wasn't what I've known my, my parents' home to be my whole life. He had shut out all light. So he had barricaded the hall. He didn't want us getting out. Um, a buffet of my mom's that he had 
fit so perfectly in the hallway. And then the um, underneath the buffet, he had barricaded too, to where you couldn't go underneath it. And he, I, I, as I was running, I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I got to go over. And all I remember is running towards the buffet and just praying in my mind, God, help me get out, help me get over this, help me. And I remember, I vaguely remember putting my hands on the buffet on the top part, but I don't remember the, sh- I don't remember feeling the strength. I don't remember feeling how I got over it. All I recall is I got over it and remember my bare feet hitting the cold tile floor on the other side. Anyhow, again, I 100% say that's the Lord. You know, I don't, I was 11. The buffet was well past probably my chest and height at that point. And there's so many things throughout this that I just look back. And the older I get and the more I look back, the more I realize God's hand in it all. And um, my feet land on the tile floor. I continue running, but I could hear noise then behind me. And all the while, Ashley's screaming, go, go, just screaming as loud as she can. Anyway, I keep running because I know it's a matter of time till he either catches up to me or catches me. And I make my way to on the other side of the buffet into the entryway. And I look over because we have slider door, a slider door in our living room. And I was like, I can get out that right outside or the front door. And he had both barricaded. He had our front door barricaded with my mom's heavy oak dining room table, chairs, all that shoved in into there. And then he had, we had, you know, back in the day, the massive sectionals, right? With the built-in recliners, the deal, the armrest you pull down, it has the cup holders in it, all that. Those are heavy, very heavy. I couldn't move it probably now, let alone at 11. And he had taken, it was a three-piece sectional, and he had taken all three pieces and stacked them up against our slider door. So there was no, no way of getting out. And so I was like, okay, my next, my next and only option left is the end of the house to the garage. Keep running. I make it into the dining room and into the kitchen. And about the time I enter the dining room, I could see Anna in front of me running, but she's struggling and, um, you know, kind of staggering. And, um, I, I hear a noise behind me again and I could tell it was him and he was out of the bedroom and getting close. And I turn around and look behind me and sure enough, he was running as fast as he could to, um, reach me and Anna. And what caught me off guard is he was, as he was running, he had that pitchfork in the air with his one hand that he was holding it with. And both his hands were just swinging in the air around him. And he was talking again in that weird tongue that I don't know. I've never heard, um, spitting everywhere and just swinging his arms and that pitchfork, just talking away in this voice, but like he was fighting something like something was in his way and he was trying to get it out of his way, but there was nothing there, nothing we could see. And, um, at one point he even stumbles and falls, like slams his stomach against the counter in the kitchen and like falls over on the counter and then stands back up and starts again. And it was just like, what is wrong with this guy? Mm -hmm. Something, 
something crazy is wrong. You know, something wasn't right. And, but yet I'm running because there's something very not right. And he's here to do harm. And so I'm running, I end up passing Anna. And I was like, I'm going to I in my mind, I'm finding a way out. She needs help. Ashley needs help. Everybody else. I don't know where everybody else is at, but we got to get out. And so I pass Anna up and at the end of the hall, um, or near the end is Jessica, my oldest sister's bedroom. And I look at her door, her door too is shut. Like all the other doors, her door is shut. And, um, I see at the top of her door holes from the pitchfork. I could tell they were holes. And for some reason, something in me said, don't even, don't even touch her doorknob. Keep going. Don't even mess with it. Just keep going. And there's also, she has a little bathroom, um, right down the hall as well from her, just barely away from her bedroom door. And I was like, I can't even, there's, that's not an option. The windows, that's one of those tiny windows above the bathtub, way above the bathtub. And I was like, there's no way Anna, there's no way I could help Anna get up and out that window and myself before he reaches us. There's no way. So again, something was like, keep running. Well, Mm -hmm. I reached hallway at that point and um I was feeling really hopeful (laughs) that hopefully he ran out of furniture or something there there's no way he could have barricaded the laundry and the garage door and I reached the end of the hall and I am just dumbfounded because he had my mom had this over six foot tall bookshelf oak bookshelf in the hall and he had pushed that up against the um laundry room door to to block that off and then he had one of my mom's oak dining room chairs pried up underneath the garage doorknob and I tried I put my hands on that trying to wiggle it there was no he had that so wedged under there there I I didn't even make it budge there was no moving it no budging it no nothing And I just stood there and I'm like, this can't be how it's going to end. You know, this, this can't be it. You know, how, how are we to to get out now? You know, he's, he's on our heels. How are we going to get out? And I got to find a way for Anna and me to get out. How there's no way out. And so for a moment, it felt like defeat. And I, as I stood there with, all these thoughts really through my mind and scrambling my thoughts on how, how now I, a little like tiny, keep in mind the house was dark, a little tiny glimmer of light caught my eye out of the corner laundry room door. And I was like, there's light. Okay. So I ran over to that and sure enough, he had left just enough of a gap between the bookshelf and the door that I was like, I'm going to squeeze through. I'm going to, I'm going to get through this. There's no, there's no ifs or anything. I'm getting through this, this doorway Mm. and the door was opened. So imagine that the one door in the house open, you know, I squeezed through this. I mean, it was a tiny little, just minute to space to squeeze through. I squeeze through like a bar of soap. I'm on the other side. And I tell you the, just that bookshelf being there, the 
laundry room, being in that room, knowing there's a window behind me big enough that I can get out, Anna can get out, and we can hopefully get help. I felt so much safety in that moment. And I, um, I'm in that room. I'm like, okay, Anna's coming. I reach my arm out of the laundry room door and I'm like, Anna, come on, come on, come on, grab my hand, grab my hand. And while she's making her way towards me as fast as she can, I can hear him coming, really hear him coming. And she grabs hold of my hand about the time she grabs hold of my hand. I put all my weight, force, everything behind me. I yank as hard as I can. I pull her, but as I pull her, she comes in and one of her back legs goes up in the air and his hand reaches out to grab her foot and his hand grazes her foot, but she made it inside and she's inside. I slam the door shut. I put my weight up, up against that door while she, I tell her I'm holding the door. You get out. She climbs up on the counter. She slides the window open. She busts the screen out with her elbow and she climbs out the window and she's standing outside the window waiting for me. And you talk about mustering up all the, the faith, the strength, everything you have in you Mm. to make that leap, you know, all that's between me and him at that point is the, the bookshelf and the door. And if he put the bookshelf there that quickly that morning, There's no reason he couldn't move it again to get in. And the door has no lock. It had nothing. It was just a normal lockless doorknob. And um, he started saying, it's okay, girls. I'll be nice now. You can come out now. I won't hurt you. You can come out. It's okay. Come out now. Like taunting us and trying so hard to convince us that he was going to be nice and not hurt us anymore. And when you've seen what someone's capable of doing, you're not going to believe that. So again, a moment of he obviously was not right in his mind at all. He continued doing that until the point we got out. I let go of my hold on the door. I jumped up on the countertop and I literally just lunged out that window and I ended up catching the box. We had like a big shoe box underneath that window outside um, where my mom, every time you take your shoes off, you put them in that box. They don't need to gather all in front of the doorway. So put them in the box. Well, my toe had caught that and I ended up almost face planting on the concrete out back. And as soon as I hit the concrete, we could hear this loud, just like roar sound. And The best way I can explain it, I don't know who all has watched the cartoon Beauty and the Beast, but it's the it's the best example I can give as to the sound we heard him make when he knew we both got out. The beast makes that loud, a loud roar on one of the scenes when Belle leaves the castle. And that almost mimics the sound we heard him make when he knew we got to to safety, when he knew we escaped. Mm. And a hundred percent demonic. Like there's no, no getting around what was going on. And I'm out the window Anna's out the window. We're on the back patio. We're outside. We're out of the house. And I look over, Anna's ready to take off and go to the neighbors. I look over at Ashley's bedroom window and I was like, I, I gotta go help her go. I'm, I gotta go tap on her window, get her out. 
And Anna, as I went to like head towards her window, Anna's all, Anna yells at me, no, we have to go. We have to leave. And I was like, I can't. And she's like, we have to, we have to get help. I was in my mind then I was like, she, you're right. You're right. What good are we going to do if he comes out the door? You know, it's so many possibilities of what could happen if we don't leave now. And so we left, we ran. And um, as we're running, again, we hadn't seen John William, my baby brother, and we had not seen my older sister, Jessica. All I knew is my parents' door was shut and Jessica's door had holes in the top of it. And um, we're running, we're running down the side of the road, heading towards one of our neighbor's homes. We lived on a 10 acre parcel. And so, you know, there's a decent amount of space between us and our neighbors. It wasn't like, you know, we weren't super close. We weren't just 20 feet apart. No, we were quite a, quite a good distance apart in, in acreage levels versus feet, you know? And so we start running our first neighbor. I don't even know why, maybe it was because her driveway was fairly long. We didn't even pause to go to her house. We just bypassed her house. And we move on to the next neighbor's house and they don't have a long driveway. Their house is really close to the road. But as we're nearing their house, Anna, I'm helping her because she, she's weak, very weak. And, you know, in my, in my mind and in my heart and in my eyes, I'd already possibly lost one sibling. I wasn't about to lose another. And so she was telling me, leave me, go, just go run, go get help. And I was like, I'm not leaving you. I, I won't leave you. And she was getting frustrated with me, but I was like, I'm getting frustrated with you because I'm not leaving you. And um, we're getting help together. We got out together. We're getting help together is what was made up in my mind. And so as we're hopping down the road, me helping her, letting her rest her arm across my shoulders, we see this person off in the distance. And we both were like, we know that person, but who, who is that person? And at first, what popped in my mind at first at 11 is it's an angel. And what, as this person got closer, we realized it was no angel, but it was Jessica, our oldest sister. And we were like, what, how, how are you, we meet up? How are you here? What in the world? And she, of course, had a million questions because she sees blood on me. She sees blood on all over Anna. Anna's hurt. Anna's pale. She's weak. She was like, what happened? And we were like, we don't got time to answer questions right now. We got to get help. And she then explained to us, she went to the first neighbor's house that we had bypassed and no one answered. So she went to the second neighbor's house that we were heading to. And she said, I can hear someone's home, but they aren't answering the door when I knock. And we were like, oh, well, we're going, we're, we're going to bang on their door till they answer. We have to get help. And so we go to their house, we're banging, 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 begging, please help us. A stranger's in our home. We're your neighbor down the road. Please help us. Our sister's hurt. Our other sister's hurt. And finally, we could hear this female voice. We could hear both a male and a female in the house. And we hear this female's voice and she's, uh, uh, she shouts out, no, open the door. And she opens the door. Um, and lo and behold to her here we are a mess standing there on her porch and she instead of turning us away opens her unlocks her screen door lets us on in 
place helps us place Anna on her couch. And Anna's like, no, 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 I don't, I, I don't want to make, I don't want to ruin your couch. I don't want to make your couch a mess. No. And she's like, I don't care. Lay down. As that's all going on, Jessica's begging. Can I call, can I use your phone? I got to call 911. And they give her her, their phone and Jessica's making a call to 911. I'm sitting there with Anna. And then it dawns on me, my mom, my mom's coming home. And I went in panic mode and I was like, I got to go. I got to wait for mom. I got to go outside and wait for mom. And so I run out their door again. I get right outside their house by the, um, on the side of the road on, at a fence post. I'm standing there where I can clearly see when my mom drives up so I can hopefully wave her down before she goes into the house. And so I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. All of a sudden, next thing I know, I hear sirens, I hear all this commotion, all this noise, and these cars fly up in our driveway, and I'm I'm just like, what in the world now? You know what? Holy cow, it's a bunch, and um, but I'm still waiting for my mom, and I see these uh, people get out of their vehicles, they're looking around the property, you know, and all the while I'm saying they're like, the problem's in the house. It's not around the property. You know, when you're in that situation, you're, you're getting frustrated. They need help in the house, not around the property, but you know, it's their, it's their protocol, law enforcement's protocol. They don't know what they're walking into. And about that time I see my mom, um, she's in a rental car. Her car ended up having to stay there to be worked on. And she has a rental car. And I knew it was my mom. And when she pulled up, all of a sudden, all these officers go and like surround her. And I knew then my mom, my mom's okay. My mom is safe. I can go back inside and be with Anna and Jess. And so I went back inside and it felt like a blink. And before we knew it, paramedics were there to take her away to the hospital and making sure me and Jessica were okay. My mom and dad, my dad was a good little ways out of town working, but he ended up getting there short, shortly after. And they let my, they escorted my mom down to the house. And before we knew it, floods of family members, our church family, all of that ended up showing up and still, you know, we had no, no clarity as far as where, you know, I, we, every one of us, me, Jess and Anna had our, you know, obviously our suspicions that Ashley was gone because of just what we heard, what we, what me and Anna heard and what we seen, we just knew she had to be, had to be gone, but yet we were still hoping there was a chance she was okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, holding on to hope, that's our last thread of hope. There is what we were, we were holding on to. And then John William, we were just hoping he was asleep or hiding somewhere is what we were hoping. We were just hoping he went unnoticed. And um, before we knew it, officers came to the house and were all kind of just huddled there and there in the living room of this, the neighbor's home. And um, they came in and they told us that two were gone. And, you know, one was, one was okay. You know, I, I knew, I knew in my heart that it'd take a lot for Ashley to be here, but what do you mean two? you know, too. And they were like the little boy, John William, he's, he's gone. Our attacker ended up going in. Um, he, John William was the first one to die in his sleep. 
that morning he got up and he went and hopped in bed with my mom after my dad left for work. And um, my mom left him there sleeping. They did the autopsy. They said that he had died in his sleep, which for us, we were thankful for, you know, yeah, um, he, he didn't suffer, but he was still viciously attacked, you know, and it just saddens me that somebody could reach such a state of possession that they don't even realize the, the links they're going you know, to us, it, it makes it makes no sense. And yet at the same time, it makes sense when you know what he was battling, you know, that you don't know, we don't know him, we, we never met him, don't know him from Adam, you know, a complete stranger, and he didn't even live around us live there. He, what we could best figure through the officer's investigation and all of that is that our next one of our neighbors on the opposite side of the direction we ran for help he was um on the opposite side of our house and um he's an older gentleman very nice we never had any ever any issues or anything with him um but he had a grandson and i guess our attacker was his grandson's friend and he was over there at our neighbor's home. At one point, we know for a fact that we seen him one day as kids were outside playing um, in our backyard and we had seen this man pacing up and down the fence line and he had no shirt on, same color skin, same color hair, same curly kind of hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was pacing up and down our fence line watching us kids play. And that disturbed us. So we all ran inside and said, mom, mom, you know, there's this guy watching us play. And she was like, what? Uh -uh." You know, like, you guys are crazy. We're like, no, for real, mom. She's like, well, let me look. So she went out there and she was like, oh, no, 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 that, no, you guys get inside. Uh Uh-uh. So she brought us all inside, locked the doors. And that was that, you know, but um, that was our only time of ever seeing him. And aside from that, you know, we have no previous encounters with him, no, nothing. We complete stranger, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, it, that's just wild because it sounded like he had it planned. Yeah. Premeditated. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy is how he gained access to our home is our camp trailer, right? We just went camping. Mm-hmm. Um, we had it parked on the side of our house from cleaning it out and all of that stuff. Well, um, he had got into our camp trailer and got two butter knives out of our camp trailer. And that's how he gained access to our home is he messed with locks and got in our house because we, my mom left our, you know, we always lock our doors. My mom locked all of all the doors. We were all locked in. Mm-hmm. And they found those butter knives in his back pocket and, um, he gained access, you know, but they said that was their first thing. How did he know that stuff would be in the trailer? If he hadn't snooped before, how would he know what point of the house to enter where he'd be less noticed? You know, all this stuff. How did he know what furniture you guys had to put where, how did he know what curtains needed to be shut? You know, how did he know all this? If he didn't already kind of scope your home out you know, and, you know, the more that came out of all of the investigation stuff, I guess what we were told to is he had a um, really bad addiction to horror films. 
Mm. And um, one of his favorite producers, I guess the guy's name is John Carpenter. And my dad's name is John Carpenter. And so it's just a lot of, a lot of crazy stuff that it was just like, you know, was he trying to reenact one of his favorite horror films? Was it because my dad's name caught his attention, John Carpenter? You know, you don't, you don't know. And we'll never fully know. It's a very difficult, it's a very difficult situation. I mean, first of all, you know, I appreciate, you know, sharing your story. Going through all the details again has to be difficult for you. And, um, you know, that's why I gave you the opportunity to share however much you, you were comfortable with sharing. And so I don't want to just, you know, just breeze past that. This is a, a serious trauma that happened to your family, a family who's trying to live for the Lord, which is something that always baffles us in the church when we see bad things happening to good people, to people who are just trying to live the right, right. way. And it just shows that this world truly is not our home and that there mm-hmm. are there are spirits that are working against yeah. us. And yet God is still sovereign, even after these horrible horrific things happen. And, and I know that too, being so young at the time, you know, you had to go through your own journey of faith after that and and going through confusing questions. And, you know, how was that process to healing? What did that look like for you? It um, wasn't easy. You know, I was, I, like I said, I was 11 and um, you know, I, I was born and raised in church. And, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, we're at church, fellowship meeting, we're at church, camp meetings, revivals, you name it, we're there. And um, so it was hard, you know, because I was 11, I was still a child. And in my mind, in my mind, how it worked was God protects and shields those that serve him, you know, from bad things happening, you know, my, I'm 11. That's just how it worked in my mind. So I was baffled as to how this could happen. But what I always resorted back to is how we, how I could for myself, when I broke down what happened in my mind, how I was even able to get away, how God gave Ashley the strength to allow us to get away, you know, how God gave her even the, the heart to want to lay her life down, you know, that it all just in my mind mounted back up to God is faithful. You know, even if bad things happen, God is still good, you know? And a question I get a lot is, well, God could have stopped that. If your God is so good, why didn't he stop that? You guys were praying even that it would stop. Why didn't he stop it? And you know, that's kind of a tough one to respond to sometimes because it's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know God's mind. I don't know why he didn't stop it because I'm sure he could. And I believe he could have, but you know, sometimes things happen. And when I look at back at the Bible, I look at numerous stories like Esther's Job's, you name it. And it's like, God could have stopped all that from happening too, but he didn't, you know? Sometimes I believe it's for our own spiritual growth, you know, and for us to just, for God, once again, to prove his faithfulness to us throughout that. And for me, 
God has proven himself time and time again, and not just then, but since then, you know, and you, you know, it's easy to doubt what you can't see, but yet when you have a personal relationship and you feel, you might not see God's face, but you feel his presence, you know, and I always resort back to that day, even at 11, I felt God's presence so strong that day, the peace, you know, just for us, just the peace of mind. We had that day to strategically escape how we got out, how we were able to maneuver around this man's traps and barricades and in the dark, you know, that in itself speaks volumes of God's guidance that day. And I truly believe with my, my whole heart that God is faithful in the good. God is faithful in the bad and, and after, you know. I look at recently I've been I was reading a scripture the other day and it's John 16:22 and it says and ye now therefore have sorrow but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you. And you know that just speaks volumes to me because God gives each of us equal opportunities to find joy in sorrow or just remain in our sorrow. And I am, I, for me, I am determined to, to remain joyful, even in the midst of sorrow. And that, you know, that's not without saying I'm not still sorrowful. My heart mourns, my, I grieve, you know, I cry. I, my heart hurts, you know, every time I think of them and that's daily, I hurt, you know, but I choose to find joy and replace my sorrow with joy, because life's still good, God's still good, you know, he's been faithful in my life more than once, and I take every one of those moments he's been faithful, and I recount every one of them, especially when life's getting, a moment in life's getting hard again, or something's difficult, or, or you might be looking at an uncertain situation, you know, I look back and I recount his many times he's been faithful. He hasn't let me down yet. And I don't believe he ever will. So for me, a lot of it is in the way you look at it. You know, you can look at it at our situation, at our story. And yeah, obviously you're going to be sorrowful for it and by it. But you know, what's important is choosing to not remain in that place of sorrow to find joy again, you know? Yeah. And that is a difficult question, you know, that we ask why God. Yeah. That's just, that's part of, that's part of life. There's so many things all around the world that God could heal in just an instant, but he doesn't. And, you know, we don't know his, his will as far as what he has planned day by day and the different people that are all around us. And we can, like you were saying, we just trust that he is still good and that he is still faithful. And there's a reason for everything, no matter how traumatic and horrible it is. What would you say to someone right now who is healing from trauma? Oh, I would first and foremost, the number one thing that comes to mind, and I know circumstances vary for me with my, my circumstance it was either to choose 
to forgive and let go or choose to hold on to my pain and sorrow and allow that either one to pave my way, you know? And for me, it would be whatever your, whatever caused your trauma, whatever the source of your trauma is to choose to forgive, choose to let go, choose to move on, choose better, you know? Um, I, uh, for a long time, you know, it was no question. I, I forgave him, you know, right off the bat, you ask every one of my family members, do you hate him? No, I don't. I, I pity him. I, I forgive him though. Ultimately I forgive him, you know, and, um, it's easy. I feel like, especially as Christians, it's really easy to be in the mindset of, well, if I want to go to heaven, obviously I have to forgive you know? And so I feel like a lot of times it's easier said than done. Sometimes it's easy to say, yeah, I forgive you, but really somewhere in your heart, you're still holding on to some kind of unforgiveness, you know? And so in order to be able to say, truly say, I forgive you without any ounce of unforgiveness left in your heart, you have to go through a deep purging of yourself you have to search it out and make sure there's not one little cranny in your life that has unforgiveness in it towards this person or that person or whoever or whatever it might be and um I was sitting in a Sunday school class um a couple years back and I'm sitting in class and, you know, sometimes Sunday lessons, they hit you right and your full, your full attention is zeroed in on that lesson, right? It's just feeding your, your soul. Then some lessons, they're a little bit drier, not so much. Well, this lesson just so happened to kind of just be more dry. It was just not, not hitting me right, but I was still in tuned, you know, but I was like, man, I got to sit here and do something. So I got my Bible and I'm sitting there trying to listen, stay focused in on the lesson, but I start flipping through my Bible. And as I'm flipping through my Bible, I land where I open it up and it lands in first John chapter three, verse 15 as verse 15, you know, chapter three, it's, it's short, but there's still a few script, quite a few scriptures in there. And for whatever reason, my eyes just landed on verse 15. And it says, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. And that, like, I, when I say it, like, smote my heart in such a way that it was like, God, why are you, why are you giving me this scripture? I told you I forgave him. I told you I have no ill feelings in my heart. I have nothing towards him in my heart but sorrow and pity for him and his choices why would why would I see the scripture in a Sunday school class nonetheless you know and that right there I prayed about it prayed about it I prayed about it for months because it was like God why why this verse why me you know I I I have searched myself out I I have forgiven him and I um I had dealt with going, talking about going through the healing process and stuff for me, my, my own personal journey of getting through trauma, you know, I had dealt with for a long time of not forgiving myself. And what I mean by that is, you know, going through 
the years of hearing your story told, my dad um, would speak about, my dad got the opportunity to speak at our college, our community college in a psychology class and tell our story. Because at the time, none of us girls, the instructor initially wanted one of us girls if we'd be willing. And it was too fresh, too soon. None of us were willing. And so my dad stood up and and did it in our place and um, did it for years. And um, hearing him through the years tell a story, you know, and of course, when somebody else is telling your story that they're living through you they're still going to get things a little, a little wrong, or this isn't going to be quite accurate or whatever. Well, through the years, me hearing Vanessa just stood there, Vanessa froze, Vanessa couldn't do anything, Vanessa didn't do anything, you know, it can eat on you after a while. And it got to the place where it was like, man, could I have done more? What what did I do wrong? What, what did I miss? You know, how could I have done something differently? And that bothered me for a long time to the point it hurt me. And I had began to have unforgiveness towards myself for not doing more. And and in reality now, you know, after all these years of me praying and pouring through this and processing all of this and in my perspective now it's Vanessa you couldn't have done no more you did what you could do Anna couldn't do anything Ashley couldn't do anything what she could do was she laid her life down that's the cost that day that's what it was going to take that day you know and you did what you could do but for me I truly believe my eyes landed on that scripture verse not in the regards for our attacker but God reminding me to forgive myself, you know, forgive myself, move on, stop holding on to what I should have, could have, maybe, maybe in a far shot could have done. Mm. Truth is, I couldn't have done anything differently. I couldn't have changed it. It played out the way it was meant to. It is what it is. It's time to forgive, time to let go, time to move on. And for me, that put in hindsight, you know, I am no different than what this man was to us that day, to myself, if I choose not to forgive me. And so who who's winning there? No, no one's winning there. And um, so for me, the biggest thing that I could tell anybody, anybody hurting, anybody going through trauma, I know the hurt that comes along with going through trauma I I know the sting it brings but choosing to forgive has such empowerment behind it it's it's unrealistic it's it's beautiful you know when you can truly forgive look at somebody look at somebody or not even look at somebody but in your heart just feel and know you've made peace you've let that go you're, you're moving on. You're better than what's happened to you. You're better than what's happened to you could make you be. You're better than that. Be better. Yeah. But live, live, choose to live, choose to press on, choose to move on. And it's hard. It's hard picking up the pieces when you've, when they've been shattered right in front of you, it's hard picking them all up and making sense out of them again. It's hard. It's like buying the biggest puzzle set you can buy 
and throwing it on the ground and saying, okay, now put it all together. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, it's not, it takes time. And that's the same thing when you're recovering from trauma, it takes time. And, and I'm still recovering. I'm not recovered. You know, there's still things I, I deal with daily as far as crying. And, you know, a lot of people see crying as you're weak. If you cry or crying is just this, that, or the other, you're feeling sorry for yourself. No, crying is a real raw emotion stating something mattered, you know, and my, my siblings mattered whoever somebody's lost in their life, if you cry over them, they mattered to you. It's just a beautiful way of our heart expressing what mattered. Our tears are that, you know, and right. I tell people all the time, if you got to cry, 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 you know, so much healing comes from just crying. Or for me, I have found so much healing in writing and encouraging others. For me, that has been an outlet that has given me and gifted me so much healing is being able to write and know that, you know, maybe there's one person out there. And if not for one person, maybe it's meant for me, you know, that my words or what I say might help them, you know, and it's crazy to me too, because that's again, another, another crucial thing I've seen God move in my life. I have always been my mom's bashful, quiet kid. I wouldn't talk to anyone. If I knew you, I'd barely give you five words. I was just that bashful. And, um, my dad, he ended up, they live, lived here in California too. They moved to Montana about, I think it's been two years, two years. They permanently moved from California to Montana. And so I'm the only daughter left here. I'm the only child period left here in California of theirs. My other sister, Anna is in Missouri. Um, my oldest sister, Jessica is in Montana as well. And then my, the twins, Ashrael and Josiah, they are in Montana as well. Ashrael's married now and she's in Montana, but my parents and Josiah are there too. So I'm the only one left here in California. Well, my dad, that um, college opportunity he had got to speak. Um, he was like, man, I, I hate to just walk away from that. You know, it, somebody needs to pick that up, but no one's left here and never in a million years. He, you know, I was always, no, no way. I'm, I'm not going to do this. No way. I, I don't mm-hmm. speak in front of people. I barely speak to people. You know? <laughs> yeah. So when he um, told us that they were moving, he told the college instructor and he was like, John, you can't do this. You can't, you can't just leave this hanging. You know, you, you, this is amazing. People, people need this, you know, you, you can't just leave it. And my dad was like, that's what you have her here for and pointed at me. And I'm looking at my dad, like, oh, you just throw me under the bus like that. Okay. (laughs) You know, But that was, I'd been praying and I've been praying for years. God opened doors of opportunity. You know, I I made a promise when my siblings died, actually me, Jess and Anna all made a promise that if a door opened up, that somebody wanted us to talk about the one, the goodness of God that day and our siblings and what they did for us, we would follow through with it and we would not walk away from an opportunity. We made that promise. And I was reminded when my dad did that, I was reminded when you made a promise, Vanessa, you know, here's your chance to, 
to stay good with that or to shut it. It's up to you, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, my heart was smote. And I, um, I told my dad and I told the instructor, I will do my best, but I, I don't know, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And the first time I went and spoke, it was actually right when, right, literally right before COVID hit. And, um, they had, I was on the schedule and all of that to come to the class. And he had texted me and he was like, the college is shutting down. And he was like, do you mind, or in class today, do you mind coming right now to tell your story before I have to shut all this down? You talk about being put on the spot. You know, I still had weeks ahead to, to prepare me for this. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, well, I have to keep good. I got, I gotta, I gotta do this. And I went and I was a basket of nerves. I was shaking. I was terrified. And, you know, just what do I say? And on my way there, my husband told me, he was like, Vanessa, just pray for God's peace. Pray for his wisdom, you know? And my dad's words to me was Vanessa. He had texted me that day and he was like, Vanessa, just do what you do. And that is tell what happened to you. He goes, you're not, it's not a made up story. You're not having to, you're not having to grapple for um, actors and this and that and people to put in your story. He goes, you have the story, go tell it. And I prayed and my words were, God, give me words to speak that you want spoke and give me peace. And I went to the college, still shaking, still trembling. And as soon as I entered that classroom, every ounce of my nerves was gone. Shakes, nervousness, quiver in my voice, all of it was gone. And I knew then, you know, I knew then God, one, heard my prayer, two, he answered it. And three, I was doing what he needed me to do in that moment, you know, and there's nothing like his peace. It's once you get it, once you get his peace, once you realize you're where you need to be, you're doing what he has designed you to do, what he has kept you here to do. You're unstoppable at that point. You know, only he can stop you. And it's, right. yeah, it's amazing. Well, that's, that's incredible. You know, just stepping up to the plate like that when you weren't, you didn't feel ready. And sometimes God will give us opportunities when we're not ready. We don't feel ready. And sometimes we have to get out, get out of our own minds. And sometimes we do overthink things. And yes. you know, when you were talking about, you know, tears and it does go along with, with peace, it's really a cleansing. And this is something that I learned in church. I actually was not raised in church. So mm-hmm. crying in front of people was unheard of for me. It's not something that they teach you in the world. Mm -hmm. It's really not. And it's something that I really had to um, just lay down for the Lord. And I remember crying in church that first day I went in there. And that's how I knew it was God. Because if it was, if it was me on my own, I wouldn't be crying. Right. I knew I felt his spirit there that day. And you know, you have those moments where it's gut wrenching and you're so sad and you're, you're grieving so just hard. And, you know, in the middle of the night, you're crying. And then all of a sudden he comes into the room. Yep. 
just feel that comforter just lay on you. And there's nothing like that. And it reminds me of Psalm 126.5 that says, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Yes. And it really does remind me that no matter what is going on, even in the most horrible, even the most just, I mean, blindsiding tragedy imaginable, he can still be standing there in the middle of the storm and be with you. And that just means we can praise him no matter what's going on. And, um, you know, when we are feeling broken, when it's, when it's difficult for us to really get out of our own heads and and we're really struggling still, how can we praise God? What has helped you as far as praising God? Um, my, I would say for me, the biggest thing is reflecting back on his goodness in my life, what he's brought me through you know, from where I was to what I am now. Um, you know, bottom line, I, you know, I shouldn't be here today. And um, I thank him for that. You know, I thank him that I am still here. I have this beautiful life to live, you know, despite what's happened to me through the years, you know, despite the bad times, there's still been so much good. And that in itself just just fuels me to want to go on more to strive more you know to try harder but ultimately my for me one of my biggest helps is yes my faith obviously my faith is it's been the rock it's been the source you know of of all this of the strength that I've had to endure to press on to forgive to um choose to keep living, you know, and, and see the good despite the bad, you know, faith can do that for you. Faith in God can do that for you. God can do that for you, you know? And, um, for me, a lot of it too, is still finding joy in the midst of the sorrow, you know, you, you know how you go to like a doctor's appointment and it might not be the most pleasant doctor's appointment. You don't know what news you might receive or this or that or the other, but at, in the midst of waiting in that doctor's appointment, you're, you're laughing or you're making jokes or you find something to laugh about, or even yourself, whatever, whatever reason you're there for at the doctor, you, you find something to find joy in to laugh about you know, life, life can be hurtful. Life is hurtful. Honestly, life's not always fun, you know? And I know for several, several people, life's not been very fair or fun, but the point is, is finding, even though it's not fun sometimes, and even though you're in a, in a difficult place, sometimes is still finding joy in the midst of that that pain, that sorrow, that hurt. Yeah. And and laughing, you know, laugh. And another thing is keep another thing I really wanted to point out is keep if you've lost somebody, don't bury their memory with them. Keep their memory alive. Keep their pictures around. 
you know, I know it hurts at the time and you, you really don't want to see a picture of them. For a lot of people, it's that way. I don't want to see a picture of them. I don't want their, a piece of them around the house. You know, I don't want a piece of something that reminds me of them around. Don't do that. Keep them around. Keep that memory alive, you know, because one day when you have the strength and the courage enough to get past the sorrow of it all, the deep sorrow, the sorrow that brings you to tears the moment you see something of theirs or the moment you see a picture of theirs. Once you can get past that to where instead of deep sorrow, it's a smile because you remembered something good. You know, you remembered a good memory. That's what it's about. But burying that is almost like you're putting a bandaid on the wound. You know, mm. instead of allowing right. the wound to heal, you're putting a bandage on it. Instead right. of putting a bandage on it, rip that bandage off and let that wound heal. Let it air out, you know, mm -hmm. keep their, keep their pictures around, keep their memories alive. And that in itself, eventually you'll reach a place of joy by looking at a picture of them. Because, you know, you know, what I always remind myself is my memories, even though I had Ashley in my life for nine years only, John William in my life for seven years only. I have so many more good memories with them that outweigh the bad. And you mm. know what? Why would I let that one moment of bad, of horrible, replace all the good, erase all the good? You know, why Why would I? That's such a shame. It's such a waste, you know? Yeah. And so do away with that. Remember them, you know? Remember them. Re renew joy, you know? And again, that scripture I read, the tail end just gets me every time. Your joy, no man can take from you. You know, no, no one person can take that from you. So don't even let yourself take it from you because we're all capable of that. We can all be thieves yeah. of our own joy, you know? Yeah. And it, it's so important. Okay. Stay joyful, stay joyful. It's, and that's still something I'm still learning. You know, I, I've got medical stuff I'm going through and, and we just adopted a little boy in August and, you know, there's so many things in life that, you know, it, you can let the chaos and the crazy outweigh what is true and what is good. And what is true and what is good is God's faithfulness. God is true and his faithfulness is good. And mm -hmm. just, just hold on, hold on to that, you know, hold on to that. And I remind myself that daily, even right now, daily, Vanessa, find something today, find something today. I don't care what it is you're dealing with today. Find something today that brings you joy, you know, find something. And it could be a simple memory. It could be watching your kid run and play. It could be who knows, you know, who knows, but joy is, joy is out there to be found. Sometimes you just have to dig for it, but dig for it because it, it's, it's important, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I'm just so grateful for you and for, you know, sharing just your story and, and the wisdom that God has given you through, you know, this journey. And, um, I, I wanted to know, right now today what is something that you are praising God for I am praising God for my life the life of my sister that enabled me to still have this opportunity to live to speak with you 
to to share what she did, what God has done. You know, I I praise Him for my my health, my family's health. I um, I, there's so much to just praise Him for. You know, the very breath we draw in our lungs that is praise. That's something we should be praising Him for. And um, I just I I am ultimately thankful for this joy that has been restored in my heart, this peace that's been given to me throughout all of this, throughout everyday life. I praise him for that. I praise him for peace. I praise him for this, for joy. I praise him for, for this life. You know, life's beautiful and he's given it to each of us to live and live the best way we, we can. And ultimately to hopefully bring him more glory, you know, and bring others to him. And, um, I just, I, I praise him for, for, for my joy. I praise him for my peace and for this life he's given me. I, I'm just so thankful. Vanessa, I am praising God that you, um, did not shy away from, you know, sharing your story and that it has, you know, kind of helped it really encourage other people and inspire other people through their trauma, through their own journeys of grief and sorrow. And thank you for really opening up and being vulnerable with us. I know that is sometimes the hardest thing to do. Um, Your story is just so powerful. And hopefully today somebody can be encouraged to um, maybe forgive somebody that they haven't uh, fully forgiven. Maybe they need to uh, take a look at their uh, forgiveness for themselves and spend some time doing that. Um, life really is, like they say, too short uh, for us to not live in the full forgiveness that God has for us because there's joy on the other side. And I appreciate your voice and your influence so much. And I would love it if you could just tell us where we can find you online. You can find me on my um, Instagram account at Better Because of It. And um, that is my face, my Instagram handle. I'm also on Facebook, but mainly it's my Instagram account at Better Because of It. So thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your story with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you and your platform and your heart for helping others. I really appreciate you. If you found this episode inspiring or helpful, would you take a screenshot of it and share it on your Instagram stories? Tagging me at HelloAwesomeLive. I would be so encouraged. Also, please leave a five-star review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts sharing how God used this to bless you. Don't forget to subscribe so you can turn into future episodes. To learn more about Hello Awesome and shop inspirational products, head to helloawesome.live using the promo code HELLO10 for 10% off your next purchase. Until next time, keep your chin up beautiful.